You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello, and welcome back to another episode here on Blank Scenario. I am your host, Marie, and we are jumping into another episode of Blank Monster. In these episodes, I go through two or three monsters in the Monster Manual and give you some ideas on how to use them, ways that might help with overused monsters or highlight some underused ones. We've been working through the 5E Monster Manual from A to Z, and this week we are on to the letter T. We have a couple of fun ones in this section. We are not actually going to be talking about the Trask because that is ironically both over and underused. But we have three other monsters we're going to talk about that are also going to be very fun. Our first monster is the Treant. If you have seen Lord of the Rings and you know what tree beard is, you know what a Treant is. A Treant is an awakened tree that lives inside their woods and they protect it from outside threats. Typically, a Treant likes to spend his days in quiet contemplation just being a tree. Um, normally, as long as you don't provoke them, they don't tend to do anything. A treant is only born under very special circumstances or if an area is very steeped in magic. So if you have an area that's very close to Feywild or if there's a druid circle living in the area, you are a lot more likely to find a treant in those spots than just in just a regular forest somewhere. So a tree that is destined to become a treant, and this is how the book describes it, it's very weird. It will live for decades or centuries before realizing its potential. Now, I assume this means that it can take that long for a tree to become a tree and not like the tree realizes, oh, I could be this thing. You could honestly kind of play it either way if you wanted to. Might be kind of fun. Other treants in the area and even powerful druids can sense this in a tree so they can kind of pick up on the magic that's coming off of it. So a tree that is going to become awakened will be protected by others around it until the time that it's actually officially a treant. Once it reaches the end of that process, it starts to look a bit more humanoid. The way this works is it begins to form a face and the bark. The branches kind of end up shifting a little bit to become more of arms. And the lower roots separate out into legs. So that way there it can actually get out of the ground and start walking around and doing things when it needs to. So this is not a tree that is gliding. This is literally a walking tree by the time the process is done with the tree's awakening. And of course, once it's awakened, it continues to grow as it does, so this thing can get huge. And it also develops a lot of magic with an area it's in. It can cause other trees to move, it can control the animals in the area if it needs to, and it can even detect changes taking place miles away from it just because of its connection to the woods. The only way to really make it mad is to threaten the area that it lives in. Woodcutters and hunters who respect a forest, not likely to provoke it. So just because you're hunting doesn't mean you have a problem. But if you start cutting down a whole lot of extra trees, if you start over hunting, if you're going after prey you maybe shouldn't, then it's going to get a bit mad at you. Treats also really don't like those careless with fire, for obvious reasons, poison, <laughs> or who destroy great trees. So really big, massive trees you probably don't want to mess with. In combat, these things are really powerful, including they are considered as siege monsters. What this means, because we've not really had anything this size with that ability yet, is they do extra damage to structures. Literally, 
if they walk up to a building and start wailing on it, they're going to do extra damage to break it. They can't. It's not just I punched the wall, right? They're going to basically break the wall down, crash in the roof, all of that stuff. So these things are huge and very powerful. There is a variant in fourth edition that I think is really fun called a black root treant. This is essentially an undead version of the normal treant. It looks like a dead tree with very skeletal branches. And these guys tend to pop up in forests that are more blighted. Um, or they can cause a forest to be blighted if they're born there. And they are going to be in a lot of forlorn places overrun with the undead. So if you want to consider planes hopping, Shadowfell would be a really good spot to put a Blackroot Treant. Or somewhere that might border that. Somewhere with a lot of undead, maybe an awakened tree would become this instead of a normal treant. So it's a very fun option for something that is an evil version of nature that has been corrupted. So a couple of ideas for our tree beard and other tree people. The first is you have a party that comes across your ruins of a frontier town of sorts. Um, this would be an area I would make it almost a small city if possible. I say town, but needs to be big enough to where instruction is obvious and not just, oh, anyone could come through. And this is going to be a town that has tried to expand into a trance territory. So rather than slow expansion, they tried rapid expansion and it did not work out. The best thing your party can do here is exploration and maybe find people to bring back who might be scattered in the forest. The tree obviously is not going to be happy with anyone in the forest, so you're going to want to hide from it, which is going to be very difficult, or try to reason with it. So this is much more of a after effect your party is coming across rather than direct action they can take. The second idea is your party is looking for the help of an ancient guardian to stop a corrupted druid. Now, druids don't often get corrupted in D&D. &D. They kind of do, but we really don't play with them much. So I think having a party go and they're going to find a treant to help fight this druid would be really fun. Usually it's the other way around. So they have to convince this treant to leave the woodlands it's in to go somewhere else to fight this druid before this corruption spreads. This could be coercion. This could be even we're going to bribe it or we're going to threaten it. Whatever you want to do, you have to get this thing to come with you because it's going to be one of the main ways to stop this druid. The last idea is going to be the druid asking for help. but you are not dealing with a treant, you're dealing with a future treant. The druid needs your help in protecting a tree from corruption, whether that is just an innate force in the forest that just happens to be in, or maybe it's a more direct attack. Maybe someone is trying to corrupt the tree to create a black root. Either way, you need to protect this future treant from becoming corrupted so it can become a normal treant and be helpful to the forest rather than trying to destroy it and bring it dead later. So those are going to be some fun ideas for treants. Our next monster is going to be the Troglodytes. We are going back to the Underdark with these guys. Um, honestly, I feel like I could have done a whole section on the Underdark because most of the monsters there feel very similar, but have slightly different flavor text to them. The Troglodytes are savage degenerates. Go figure. They're constantly at war with their neighbors and each other. Again, fairly typical for Underdark creatures of low intelligence. They mark their territory using bones and pictographs and live in very filthy caves. So these are not high society creatures. They're going to be very low. These are much more bestial and territorial. They have a very simple culture. They're very devoted to just getting food and they do not plan ahead. They might plan like for two days and that's it. 
So it is a constant raid and hunt to survive rather than strategizing anything. But they do also take pleasure in hunting intelligent creatures. So there's a cruel streak in these guys. Within their society, as much as you call it that, the strongest lead. So if they show weakness at any point, they are also eaten. So we have another cannibalistic tribe underground. As I said, they are not high intelligence. They are not builders or crafters. They are going to scavenge anything they can from victims and prey in their territory or outside of it. Interestingly enough, though, they do understand the value of metal. And the 5e lore even describes that tribes can be ripped apart by members fighting for pieces. So a sword, no matter how rusted, could break apart a tribe. That's how much they understand this. They may not be great planners, but they understand what the use of tools are. They are fairly weak monsters. They look like chameleons a little bit as far as skin color, and they can actually change your skin, and they smell horrible. So you do not want to be around them, and it's real obvious when they're getting close to you. Within the 5th edition lore, they do serve the demon toad lizard Laozed? Laozed? L-A-O-G-Z-E-D. Have you say that? And this is a demon that slumbers in the abyss. Laozed doesn't offer them anything, except the aspiration to be as fat, well-fed, and weirdly content as he is. So their goal in life is not necessarily to please him, but they look to him as a role model of, I want to be that well-fed all the time. In 3.5, we do get some player character options for them. Um, one of the favorite classes is Cleric, which is what most of the leaders are. And while normally with Clerics, if they follow something that doesn't care about them, they don't get anything, 3.5 actually says they can worship Laozed, and the domains within that um, particular edition are Chaos, Death, Destruction, or Evil. Now, obviously, in 5th edition, you can't really choose those quite as much, but you could probably take War as one of them, and I think that would work well. Could also do Death Domain if you wanted to. Um, or you could even just rescan one a little bit to kind of fit those. Um, I think you could probably use Storm or Ch as Chaos and just rescan the spells a bit. They also, again, are much more spindly in 3.5. Whereas in 4th edition, they have more muscles. So depending upon which edition you're looking at for images, you can get some different variations in how to describe them. In 4th edition, they still worship a couple of different deities including Zlauzed, but we've added more, including Torog, which is also known as the King That Crawls. I don't know what that means. That's a great name, though. Um, and the way they worship him is by torturing creatures for hours and trying to gain favor. So again, we get much more of a very cruel culture that is trying to appease something that probably doesn't care about them. We do also get in 4th edition a life cycle for troglodytes, they lay eggs in dark caves. Out of the hundreds of eggs that they lay, only a few dozen will actually survive to hatch and grow into adulthood. It takes about two years for that process from hatching to adulthood. So you have a very small percentage of troglodytes surviving. So this is a very brutal society, both in the environment they're in and in the society that they've built for themselves. So a couple of ideas for these guys, because it is kind of hard to do a lot of unique ideas with a society that's this brutal, but I think I came up with a few good ones. The first is your party is in the Underdark, and they've discovered that a weapon or item they need is in possession of a troglodyte tribe. 
the issue with this, of course, is you don't want to fight the entire tribe. That's a lot of people, well, things. But you could maybe find a way to provoke them into fighting each other if they haven't already. So this is going to be a bit more subterfuge, but it's going to be tricky because you have creatures that really aren't going to listen to reason. So you have to try to basically start a fight where they will wipe themselves out for you. Our second scenario is a bit more of a loner troglodyte. We don't really have that in any of the lore that I found, but I think it would work to have a very weak troglodyte who has basically left his tribe for survival, since that seems to be their key thing. And it has been following the party and stealing food off of you. So your party will be in the Underdark, and every day they wake up, they have less and less food, and they don't know why. Until they figure out this troglodyte has been following them and been stealing from them. Your party can kind of do with that what they want. Maybe they want to use this thing as a guide. Maybe it's like a golem situation where we keep it around until it kills us or we kill it, one of the two. But it's going to be a bit more of a hindrance than anything else in the Underdark to have no food because this troglodyte has been eating all of it. And the last scenario for the troglodytes is actually going to have your players in a clan or a tribe. And they're being sent by the cleric who's leading their tribe to destroy the hatchling cave that has been discovered nearby. This hatchling cave is not of their tribe, so therefore it needs to be wiped out. Um, the issue, of course, is while troglodytes are not inherently maternal, they would want to protect the future of their tribe because there would be incentive to have more people fight later. So you will have to go in and fight guards. You'll have to fight anyone who's keeping an eye out or have to be able to just sneak in in general. So it's not going to be walk in, smash eggs, walk out. And that takes us to our last monster. We're going to go back to the material plane. <laughs> and we are going to be talking about the troll. Trolls are very, very popular because they are very difficult to fight. The main reason people know about trolls is their regeneration ability. Just about every D&D player knows you can only kill trolls with fire and acid. But there are a couple of fun things with them, I think, as a DM you can add into the game to really make the troll stand out so it's not just another troll in dungeon scenario. First thing to keep in mind, trolls, is they are born with very horrific appetites and they will eat anything they can catch. Because of this appetite, they will serve as mercenaries, usually for hags, orcs, ogres, edens, and giants, so other large creatures with very similar personalities or goals. <laughs> Despite them being willing to serve, they are very difficult to control and they will often do whatever they want to anyway. So if you have a scenario with another monster, a troll can be really easy to throw in there and just be kind of a wild card at that point. Like I said, they are able to regenerate unless damaged by fire or acid, even up to reattaching limbs. And they are intelligent enough to recognize those who are using those attacks and going after those people. So your wizard doing fireball better have someone protecting him because he will be targeted first. The regeneration ability is honestly the most interesting because this leads to mutations. We don't see this often in pictures. Um, you'll see it described in game usually more than anything. But these mutations can lead to two heads if they were decapitated. Or even taking on abilities from consumed creatures such as maybe fey or undead or I don't know that sorcerer of unlimited power. We'll get to that in a minute. So these regeneration abilities mean the troll really can become anything you as a DM decide it can be, including the variant option in 5th edition, Loathsome Limb. If you cut off the arm of the troll, it will act as a second creature until the troll dies or takes the rest to get that arm back. 
So cutting off the arm isn't always a good idea. Normally we think, oh yeah, cut off lens is good. Well, it can grow them back and that limb is still moving. So this can affect its arm, legs, and even head. So just because you cut the head off the body doesn't mean you're done fighting it. So these things honestly in game play more like zombies than anything else. There are a couple of variations within other editions that I want to touch on that I thought were very cool. Um, if nothing else for flavor, they work really well. In 3.5, we have the Scrags, which is a marine variety of trolls. They have a very high swim speed, and they only regenerate if they're mostly immersed in water. Otherwise, they are pretty much identical to their land cousins. So just because you're in the ocean doesn't mean you can't find trolls there, which is really fun if you have a pirate campaign. And then in 4th edition, we get a little bit more lore on them that they tend to travel in packs or that they can travel in packs. They don't really have a migration pattern, though. But they will go to an area, and if they find, hey, there's a lot of stuff to eat here, they will build a layer and hunker down. So these guys are very much just going to travel with wherever the food supply is going, which should eventually lead them to a civilization of some point. The varieties we get within 4th edition, though, we have war trolls that are more intelligent than common trolls, and these guys are actually bred to wield weapons and armor. And they will specifically travel as mercenaries, although they will follow whoever pays out the most. <laughs> now, I wrote down my notes loyal to money. Really, it's going to be more of loyal to whatever resource they want. But you can buy these guys out real easy. So they're not loyal, but they are terrifying in a fight. We also have fell trolls, which are basically your larger versions of normal trolls, if that's even possible. And these are going to be much more brutal because they love to eat humanoid prey. And these are guys that if you want to wipe out a village overnight, you send in a fell troll and it will be gone. So hopefully these are three mostly unique ideas. The first is your party is actually told to monitor a troll that is helping to fight in a battle. If you wanted to kind of reskin the war troll a bit for 5th edition, I think this would be a really good one. Your goal, though, is to keep it on track or kill if it becomes a liability. Which means your party has to be very strategic in how they deal with the troll. You want to talk to it. You want to coerce it. But you don't want to make it mad. And you need to be willing to kill it and able to kill it if the problem arises. I would definitely behind the screen have some way of like tracking how much the party is doing to aggravate the troll. Just because I think it'd be funny to have it just go off and try to eat one of your players at some point. The second option is your party is following a treasure map to an island. Everything seems normal. There's a treasure. There are traps. They go down to a cave filled with water. And there's a treasure. But a water troll has set up residence here. The reason this is shocking is you are on an island and there's a bunch of water around you. How did a troll get here? Which, it's only going to generate in water. So your players may or may not catch on to that fact. I would also say, since it is a water troll, I would make sure fire is not very effective against it. So acid is your only option. So if your wizard is like, yeah, I got this, they're going to realize quickly they don't and they need to rethink their strategy a little bit. The last option is one that I've kind of hinted at. You have a troll that has eaten a group of very powerful sorcerers and it has begun using wild magic. Now, this thing is not intelligent really to control wild magic, I don't think, so it's not doing it purposefully. I think it's more of an after effect or it's triggering this somehow because... It's channeling magic it's not really meant to. So your party needs to kill it, because that's always an option, 
Or if they realize we kind of can't because it's too powerful with just random magic effects going off or too dangerous just to be even near, they can try to get it to a normal hunting ground until this mutation wears off. With this powerful of a magical mutation, I would make it more of a temporary thing where eventually the wild magic will wear off. Until then, though, this thing is kind of a time bomb for any area it goes into. Because you can get custom wild magic tables with literally thousands of effects that could be very, very dangerous for anyone within a mile radius of this thing. So that is a fun one if you want to basically have your party rolling on a table to see what happens to them for just talking to the troll. So that is going to be it for this episode. We have our treants, our troglodytes, and our trolls. These guys are really fun to look up because while these feel like very common creatures, there were some bits of lore I wasn't as familiar with that I really got to dig into that I liked. Let me know if you've used a troll mutation when it was in game because honestly I think that's the coolest part of the troll is you could really change it to customize it to mess with your players. We have a couple of letters still coming up. If you have a monster you want me to cover, let me know. If I've missed any, be sure to let me know as well and I can go back and try to do a um, requested list possibly. Until then, I will see you next time. Hello, Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy.